So I had very grandiose ideas about what I was going to talk about tonight. I'm one of those people that sees the big picture. I'm not too good on the details. So I was going to talk variously about death. I was going to talk about grief. I was, you know, I have very large topics. And I had all sorts of notes about these topics. And then I hit the wrong button on the computer and they all vanished. So I thought, okay, that's a message. I should talk about patience. So um, that's what I'm going to do. Patience is as mysterious to me as life and death. Maybe to you too. Um, so one of the things I like to do is I like to bring images of people and beings that inspire me and put them on the altar behind me. Some of you may have heard me say that Jack Cornfield always talks about having support, backup. So for people who do therapy, I was a therapist at one point in my life, to have pictures and images of other realized, of, of realized beings behind you so that the person doesn't realize they're just relying on you alone. So I brought some of my inspirations with me tonight. So I brought along a picture of, you may not be able to see this, you can see it later, of Martin Luther King and Thich Nhat Hanh. I believe this is when they were speaking out against the war in Vietnam. And I brought along a picture, I'm going to talk about these people, of somebody named Jetsima Tenzin Pamo, she's on the left, and somebody named Noor Khan, who's on the right. So these are both very powerful women. Tenzin Pamo is still alive. She's an American Tibetan nun, and I'm going to talk about her a bit. And Noor Khan uh, was an uh, Indian activist, uh, opponent of the Third Reich, and uh, I will talk about her, too. And then I have a, a bison. So a bison is, is my, uh, I guess you could say, is my totem animal. But a bison also plays into something, a story that I'm going to tell tonight, which is very convenient. So those are my supports, as well, of course, the Buddha. So I'm going to try not to use too much Buddhist lingo. Um, if, I, if I say something that you don't understand, please just um, ask me. Maybe I'll know the answer, maybe I won't. Uh, so, um, so in Buddhism, patience is the sixth parami. So the paramis are the qualities of an awakened, enlightened heart-mind. Um, so in this tradition that we're in, in this meditation center, which is in the Theravadan tradition, there are ten paramis. There are six in other traditions. I don't really know why. But the, the ten paramis are generosity is the first one. The second one is morality. Third is renunciation. The fourth is wisdom. Fifth is energy. The sixth is patience. The seventh is truthfulness. The eighth is resolution. The ninth is loving kindness. And the tenth is equanimity. And we could talk forever about any one of these, really. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about patience. So we can cultivate these qualities in our, in our practice, so in our own internal experience. And we can also cultivate them 
as we make our way through the world in relationship to others. And the former, our practice, such as our meditation practice tonight, the internal practice of patience supports patience as we interact with others in the world. So if we practice patience towards ourselves, towards our experience, then we have, we have that as a skill that we can bring out into the world. Just as we practice kindness towards ourselves, then we know what kindness is and we can offer that to others. So the Buddha is said to have perfected the paramis in many, many, many lives. I don't remember, remember how many previous lives he had. Does anybody know? <laughs> On the night of his enlightenment, he actually saw all of them. And so um, his, his experiences before he became enlightened or awakened uh, are captured in something called the Jataka Tales. And the Jataka Tales are kind of like Aesop's is it Aesop? Aesop's fables. So there's stories or tales about the Buddha to be in his various lives. Some of, in some of these lives, he was an animal, and in some of these lives, he was a human. So um, these, in these tales, the future Buddha, he can be, appear as a king or an outcast or an elephant or a snake. And in that incarnation or that form, he is exhibiting the, one of these paramis or these virtues. So there are tales that tell the story of the Buddha be being generous or the Buddha to be have, uh, being loving or whatever. Um, and oftentimes he's interacting with a whole cast of characters and he's behaving in this virtuous way and then whatever problem is, exists is resolved through this virtue. The Jataka tales are thought to be some of the earliest of the Buddhist literature, so they're, they're thought to date to the 4th century BCE. So this evening I thought I would read one of the Jataka tales uh, that deals with the parami or the virtue of patience. And this is called The Monkey and the Buffalo. Buffalo. In this case it was a water buffalo, but actually I don't know if they're related. Does anybody know if the water buffalo and the bison are related? I don't know. Okay, so this is the Jataka tale, uh, which is the monkey and the buffalo. <clears throat> a giant-like buffalo with mighty horns lay under a tree asleep. Two mischief, mischief, somebody say it for me. Thank you, mischievous eyes peeped through the branches. And a little monkey said, I know a good old buffalo who's sleeping neath the tree but I am not afraid of him, nor he's afraid of me. And he leaped from the branch onto the buffalo's back. I'll bring my buffalo down here. The buffalo opened his eyes, and seeing the monkey dancing on his hip, he closed them again, as if only a butterfly were on his back. The rascal monkey tried another trick. Jumping on the buffalo's head between his two large horns, he held the ends and swung, as on a tree. But Buffalo did not even wink. What can I do to make my good friend angry, he thought. And while Buffalo was eating in the field, he trampled on the grass wherever he wished to graze. And the Buffalo merely walked away. Another day, the monkey took a stick and knocked the Buffalo's ears with it. 
Then while he was taking a walk, he sat on his back like a hero, holding the stick on his hand, in his hand. And to all of this, the buffalo never made a murmur, though his horns were strong and mighty. But one day, while the monkey sat on his back, a fairy appeared. A great being you are, O buffalo, she said, but little do you know your strength. Your horns can break down trees and your feet could crush rocks. Lions and tigers fear to approach you. Your strength and beauty are known to the whole world, and yet you walk about with a foolish monkey on your back. One blow of your horns could pierce him, and a stroke of your foot could crush him. Why do you not throw him to the ground and finish with this play? This monkey is small, replied the buffalo, and nature has not given him much brain. (laughs) Why then should I punish him? Moreover, why should I make him suffer in order that I may be happy? At this the fairy smiled, and with her magic wand, she drove the monkey away, and she gave the great buffalo a charm by which no one could cause him to suffer again, and he then lived happily ever after. So does this sound familiar? We actually had a a similar scenario recently in Yellowstone National Park. Did anybody read about the guy with the bison? So there was a a monkey in human form who turned out to be a drunk man who got out of his car and was antagonizing a bison in the middle of Yellowstone National Park. And he was out there goading on this bison, which weighs, what, 1,000 pounds, maybe? 2,000, thank you. Twice that much. And he was doing everything in his power to try to enrage this bison to get a response from him. And the bison, in all of his wisdom, exhibited the parami of patience and just walked away. So, I mean, yeah, these things exist today in real life. And the bison was wiser than the man with the small brain. So the author of the retelling of this Jataka tale is Noor Inyat Khan, who's in one of these pictures. And her own life is the, um, the story of patience on a grand scale. Maybe you know her story. There was actually a film made about her called, I think it's called Enemy of the Reich. So Noor was born in Russia in 1914. And her father was a well-known Indian musician who established the Sufi order in the West. So when Noor was a child, she and her family moved to France, and her father died there several years later. Noor grew up to be a musician in her own right, as well as a children's book author. And she translated the, well, I'm not sure she translated them, but she retold the Jataka tales, which is where that particular tale came from. So uh, when the Nazis invaded France in 1940, she and her family, a family that was still living, fled to London. And when she was in London, she joined the WAF. So that was the Women's Air Force. And she signed up to be the first radio transmitter to be dropped into occupied France, even though she was told that she had only one out of four chance of surviving. Because radio transmitters were very important. You know, they were the communication link. So the Nazis were very interested in capturing them. 
So she was dropped into France. She was betrayed by a double agent who was in her, the resistance. She was captured and she was sent to Dachau, the concentration camp. And despite being tortured, she betrayed no one. She died in the concentration camp in 1944. Makes me want to weep when I say that story. But I tell these stories because for me they're a great inspiration, and perhaps to you too. She was willing to put her own life on the line because she understood that the Nazi regime was out to destroy everything that she believed in, which was nonviolence, mutual respect among people of different faiths, and the value of all human life. You seem particularly relevant today, or especially relevant, also relevant, again relevant. So when you hear the story, you might not think of the word patience. Patience seems like kind of a tame word in, uh, to describe Norse courage. And for me, I think I've often thought of patience as connoting something like passivity or inaction. But actually, that's not what the word patience means when it's used to translate um, the word that means, well, the Pali word, which is the word that the Buddhist teachings were written down in. Um, the Pali word for patience is kanti. And um, patience, is, I, I'm, I read, I'm told, is not a particularly good translation of the concept. So I'll talk a little bit about what this concept means. So Jack Cornfield, do people know who Jack Cornfield is? He's, a, um, he's still alive. He's a Western teacher of Buddhism. And um, so he has commented on the difficulty of translating this, this quality of the heart-mind um, into English. And he says that in English, when we think of being patient, we're often waiting for something better to happen. Right? We're just kind of binding our time. Um, so he prefers um, to use the word that's sometimes used in Zen to represent this concept, which is constancy. And constancy, he writes, is a kind of dedication to what you love and what you care about. It's a dedication that's grounded in a trust that ultimately your wholesome actions will result in something good. So certainly, uh, Noor Inyat Khan was exhibiting constancy when she endured torture unto death for what she believed in. So this is what the Buddha says. Whoever endures abuse, assault, and imprisonment without animosity, and who has patience as one's strength, as one's mighty army, she I call a Brahmin. I'll read it again. Whoever endures abuse, assault, and imprisonment without animosity, and who has patience as one's strength, as one's mighty army, she I call a Brahmin. So Tanisara Bhikkhu, uh, so he, if you're not familiar with him, he's, he's a contemporary Buddhist practitioner and translator, thinker. He says that the, 
the, the parami or the quality of kanti actually means endurance. So it's not the endurance of gritting your teeth and waiting it out until something better happens, but it's the endurance of understanding the truth of how things are and then of not succumbing to our habitual reactive patterns to that truth. So patterns of anger, of discouragement, and fear. And I would say that this is the type of endurance that another great teacher, Martin Luther King Jr., exhibited when he devoted his life and ultimately his death to the cause of freedom for brown and black Americans. So he understood the truth of how things were and how unfortunately they still are, the truths of inequality, of racism, of oppression, of poverty. And he chose to endure, to persevere in his nonviolent protest, despite the violence to which he and others were subjected. So, so the Buddha said, he's famously quoted as saying, this comes from the Dhammapada, I think, hatred does not cease by hatred, but only by love. This is the eternal rule. Martin Luther King Jr. said in his sermon entitled Loving Your Enemies, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate, violence multiplies violence, and toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he is setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admonition. Have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil hate beginning hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the darkness of annihilation. So that was written in the early 1960s. Still applies today, of course. So we don't have to take the Buddha's word for it or Martin Luther King's word for it or Jesus' words for it. We can see it in Syria, we can see it in the Middle East, and we can see it in this country. And we have a choice. We have a choice to respond with greed, anger, and delusion, or we can respond with something else. So last month I had the very good fortune of going on a retreat with Tenzin Pamo, the woman in this picture who spent 11 years meditating in a cave in the Himalayas. And she would still be there if the Indian authorities hadn't come up and told her that her visa had expired. She needed to leave. (laughs) So she is a fierce and she's a compassionate woman and practitioner. And she just radiates from her being faith in the path, faith in in the power of patience, faith in the power of goodness. So when she was in her cave uh, for 11 years, 
she meditated. Some of you might have heard me tell this story. She meditated, which is what Tibetans do when they're on the retreat. She meditated in a meditation box, which is like a wooden box. And you sit in this box at night. So she never lay down for 11 years. That was the strength of her practice. She was determined that she was going to be free. And so um, someone asked her on this retreat, how, how can we live in this world, in this current climate of hatred? And her answer was this. It's important not to add to the atmosphere of anger and paranoia, the psychic pollution of greed, anger, fear, and jealousy. By being angrier, we are adding more darkness. We need to neutralize the negative energy by putting loving kindness and compassion into the world. Stop indulging in negatives and feeling sorry for yourself. Strengthen your inner conviction that love is more powerful than hatred, compassion more powerful than cruelty. So I love that. Stop indulging in negatives and feeling sorry for yourself. Strengthen your inner conviction that love is more powerful than hatred, compassion more powerful than cruelty. So how do we do that? So we're really lucky. We're so lucky that we're practitioners. I feel so lucky that I have found the Dharma. The Dharma meaning the path, the truth, however you want to translate that. I feel so lucky because I understand that we have the means to clearly see the effects of greed, anger, and delusion in our own minds and our bodies. And that we have the we know how to train ourselves to go in a different direction. That is the path. So we have the practice, we have the practice of meditation, of loving kindness and compassion, of equanimity, and we have the noble eightfold path. We have a map for how to do this. And this is what we're doing every time that we come to common ground, that we sit down to meditate, that we make a decision to, to send love into the world, compassion into the world. That we do it even if we don't feel like doing it. Even if the last time we meditated we had a lousy experience. Even if our hearts and minds are filled with fear or anger or greed we can understand, we can feel what that feels like in the body and the mind. We can know it ourselves. We can know what it feels like to want things to be different. And we can meet that with kindness. We all have these experiences. We can offer ourselves kindness when we experience that, just as we might offer it to someone else in the world who's acting out of these same compulsions. So Gil Fronstall, I don't have a picture of him up here. I could have brought one. He's one of my favorite teachers along with these others. He uh, teaches in California. And um, he says that there are three things that support this practice of patience uh, in our lives and in our spiritual practice. And he says these three things are, one, gentle perseverance, The second one is patience under insult. 
And the third is acceptance of the truth of the way things are. So I'll, I'll speak first about the first one, gentle persever- perseverance. So this, this is the willingness to keep practicing, even when it seems fruitless or it doesn't meet our expectations of the way it should be. This is kind of the foundational practice. So if you're like me, you may have had hopes or expectations that your practice will get easier or that there will be fewer obstacles or that the ratio of pleasant to unpleasant experiences will shift in the right direction. But this isn't the way it works in my experience. It's great if it's your experience, but it hasn't been mine. Um, So given that, Practicing moment after moment, you know, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, year after year, this requires gentle perseverance. It requires that we have guts, that we stick to it. And it also requires that we give ourselves some credit for doing it, just as I hope you give yourself credit for even showing up here tonight. It requires perseverance and strength. So Barry Magdid, he's a Zen practitioner, and he's quoted in a book that I really like, which is called The Power and the Pain, Transforming Spiritual Hardship into Joy. Um, So he says, my old teacher, Joko Beck, used to say that it took many, many years for students to finally discover what practice really meant. And when when they did, most of them quit. That's because the end of suffering that we that's because the end of suffering that we realize we can achieve through practice turns out to be an end of separation from suffering. Suffering ceases to exist when it is no longer something we experience as impinging on our life as an unnecessary avoidable intrusion that we finally learn to exclude from our lives once and for all. Instead, what we realize is that suffering is inseparable from life. This is the first noble truth, right? There is suffering. Suffering is to be understood. I like to describe what happens by saying that suffering doesn't disappear from our life, but into our life. So I'm going to say that again. Suffering ceases to exist when it is no longer something we experience as impinging on our life, as an unnecessary, avoidable intrusion that we finally learn to exclude from our lives once and for all. Instead, what we realize is that suffering is inseparable from life. I like to describe what happens by saying that suffering doesn't disappear from our life, but into our life. So the second um, aspect of patience that Dr. Franzdahl highlights is patience under insult. This is the second important support for our practice and in our lives. So for those of you who are very self-critical as I am, this one is very important. 
So on a personal level, I think of patience under insult as meaning that we continue to practice despite all the things, the insults that our mind is screaming at us. Like, you're no good, you're never going to get this, what right of you to sit up here in the Dharma seat and talk about patience, all of these things. Um, does anyone have this experience of having those kinds of things? <laughs> does anyone not have that experience? <laughs> so this is what the mind does. It's, it's often very critical. It's in hurling these insults. So this is patience under insult. The Buddha said that the doubt is the, is the most uh, deleterious hindrance to our practice. And doubt includes self-doubt, all the things that we say to ourselves that try to derail us from the practice. And in the realm of relational practice, of being in relationship with others, of being in the world, patience under insult means that we don't succumb to anger, despair, or aggression when we feel threatened. That we find another nonviolent response instead of our habitual reactions and emotional patterns, as Martin Luther King did. So the, the Buddha set a very high bar for this, this aspect of patience. And um, I hope you won't be put off by this, but it's, a, it's an interesting metaphor. So this is the parable of the saw. Monks, even if bandits were to savagely sever you limb by limb with a double-handled saw, even then, whoever of you harbors ill will at heart would not be upholding my teaching. Monks, even in such a situation, you should train yourselves thus. Neither shall our minds be affected by this, nor for this matter shall we give vent to evil words. But we shall remain full of concern and pity with a mind of love, and we shall not give in to hatred. On the contrary, we shall live projecting thoughts of universal love to those very persons, making them as well as the whole world the object of our thoughts of universal love, thoughts that have grown great, exalted, and measureless. We shall dwell radiating these thoughts, which are void of hostility and ill will. It is in this way, monks, that you should train yourselves. Monks, if you should keep this instruction on the parable of the saw constantly in mind, do you see any mode of speech, subtle or gross, that you could not endure? No, Lord. Therefore, monks, you should keep this instruction on the parable of the saw constantly in mind. That will conduce to your well-being and happiness for long indeed. So I hope that you're not savagely severed limb by limb with a double-handed saw. But um, if you are, I hope you'll be able to persevere and uh, practice patience. So the, the final support for cultivating this parity of patience in our practice and in our lives is the acceptance of the truth of the way things are. So the truth of the way things are includes the truth that we're not the center of the universe. This can be a hard thing to, to accept, at least for me. Because we spend a lot of time shoring up our egos. I have a t-shirt that says, 
Your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> I should have worn it tonight. I'm sorry? That's a skateboarding shirt. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, great. And do you wear it? And what kind of response do you get? <laughs> they do. Okay. It's a good message. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, there you go. I just happened to just buy the, the shirt off the internet. I had no idea where it came from. <laughs> so we spend a lot of time shoring up our egos and not recognizing the fact that they are as insubstantial, as conditioned as everything else. This is really kind of the ultimate practice. One of the things that I personally like to do is so I, I have you ever seen this this picture of the history of the world of the world or the planet as a clock? So it's a 24-hour clock. You can look at it later. So it just shows where on this clock face different things have occurred on the planet. So at starting at midnight at 3 a.m. was the meteor meteorite bombardment, and then about six o'clock there are abundant banded iron iron formations. And the trilobites uh, arrived at about 9 p.m. At 11.58 and 43 seconds, humans arrived on this planet on a 12-hour on a clock. So whenever I'm feeling uh, particularly egoic and also, also despairing for the, the, the chaos that we have visited on this planet, I remind myself that we're just a tiny little, not even speck, we're not even a tiny little speck in the scheme of things, and that the, the earth will go on, life will go on, perhaps not without us, with, without us, but uh, that in the space of things we're very inconsequential. So that keeps me humble, and I'll, I'd love to hear from you later what, what works for you. So um, I'd like to end with a passage from the Tao Te Ching on patience and then read some, a reflection by, uh, written on that passage by someone named Sun, I hope I'm pronouncing his or her name right, Sun Tiao. I have no idea who this being is. Found it on the internet, of course. Um, so this is the passage from the Tao Te Ching. Do you have the patience to wait? till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? So this is his reflection, his or her or their reflection. While life brings you thrills and excitement, it also dispenses you with a fair share of puzzles and perplexity. You are perplexed when a good friend suddenly gives you a cold shoulder, worried when your boss speaks to you in a tone unusually stern, and anxious when your tour agent fails to pick you up in a foreign land. We tend to react when uncertainty arises and often overreact. You can, as a matter of fact, try something quite different. When you are puzzled at what you see, 
Do not stare hard. Instead, relax your mind and get your inner self to feel the thing. When you cannot figure out what you hear, do not struggle to listen. Rather, take a step back and feel the vibration with a quiet mind. Let go of trying and open your mind to receive. When you allow your mind to receive, intricacy is given a chance to become simplicity and the shapeless becomes palpable. It gets you to see what you do not see and hear what you do not hear, moving you a step closer to reality. It brings the present back to you, enabling you to know what is actually happening. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? So that's what I got, and I'd love to hear what you have. So I will open it up to any comments, uh, reflections, um, your experience working with patience and impatience, whatever you know, I'd love to hear. And I have a, a microphone here, not to be intimidated, but... Um, it will help everyone else to hear if you can use the mic. Yes. I was just thinking of an acronym to remember. Um, gee, I'm going to not get the good grade I wanted. Um, <laughs> G, uh, uh, gentle perseverance, perseverance right? and Patience under insult right. and acceptance, and the first three letters with a GPA. So, ah, okay. I want a good GPA. <laughs> great. That's great. Thank you. Hi, <clears throat> my name is Brenda. Um, I just thought it was really interesting. I've heard the story about the saw, the double-edged saw, and Mark talks about it a lot, you know, getting ripped from limb to limb, and, <laughs> and then you're just supposed to just love them and send them, you know, all the, the love in the universe. But I never really, when I heard you speak about it tonight, I heard something different in there for me, and that was, it's not that. Like, that's not what you're supposed to be focusing on. The focus you know, this is just me it dawning on me. Maybe everybody else already got this. I don't know. But, uh, but it was like, oh, so, you know, if this person sitting next to me is annoying me a little bit, well, compare that to getting ripped from limb to limb. I think I can have patience for that as a way to learn more patience. Ah. So that was just kind of a, a revelation ah. I had. So thanks. Thank you. Yeah. I can keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have a broken toe, so. Oh. oh. First, thank you very much for the teaching, Jean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a couple of things. One, uh, with patience, uh, I'm noticing in my life that so I'm just in a position in life where I'm called to be patient for the next couple of months. It's kind of just how things are going to go. And 
the challenge for me isn't the patience in and of itself as much as it is the uncertainty of the outcome. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, I'm like, all right, I can be patient, I can hold on. But when I feel like the outcome is uncertain, the anxiety that comes up with that is like, Ugh. but if I knew that the outcome was the way that I want it to be, <laughs> then there'd be no suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so just paying attention to kind of my, my attachment to the outcome uh-huh. uh, is, is, is really a, a good place for me right now. And then additionally, uh, the parable of the saw, um, <laughs> which is um, a very interesting one, uh, <laughs> which I really don't like, to be honest. But I don't like it because for a long time I, I misinterpreted it, and I, I, I don't know if I still misinterpret it. But what I do know is that for a long time, the aspirational quality of hearing the heart of the Buddha in that caused me to, at times, want to put or project myself further along the, the road spiritually than I actually was, mm. right? So the Buddha said, just be kind to all these people who are saying these crazy, doing these crazy, acting these crazy ways. Mm-hmm. And my heart in this moment wasn't, it was contracted, wasn't kind, wasn't... And the challenge with that is then I began to judge myself for not being there. And why can't I love all these people who are holding these signs and saying that I don't have the right to exist in this world? And so where I am now with my awareness is that the, the wisest part of me is simply able to, when contracted, accept that there's contraction there. Mm-hmm. Be okay with contraction in the body. Mm-hmm. Not force the contraction to try to get past it. Not force myself to do it or be anything other than it is, but really uh, create more ease and space in the heart uh, fulfill the practice, alleviate the suffering by simply accepting it as it is. Mm-hmm. And I find that creates a lot less suffering and second arrow trauma uh, in my life. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Contraction is like this. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. There's the skateboarder over here. <laughs> Um, what I heard when I heard uh, the saw parable was it seemed like he was just saying no exceptions, bottom mm. line. He could have just said no exceptions, <laughs> mm. but he was trying to make it extreme. Mm. Otherwise, everyone's going to qualify it with, yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you don't understand mm. what this this guy did. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to go as extreme as possible just to make the point, mm. no exceptions. And um, I like the... The patience of constancy is much, because the, the Western idea is, oh, we'll just put up with this because we're going to get something better if we make it through. But we don't really know that. Mm-hmm. You know, right. That's not living in the present. It's uh-huh. projecting into the future for something better than right now. So it's kind of the opposite of patience, mm-hmm. but it's what we think is patience. Right. And that, that was like, wow, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how I do it a lot. I'll put up with this because I'm going to get something better. Right. Uh, instead of just being patient, meaning constant with what is today mm-hmm. and not wishing it was done, mm-hmm. <laughs> just right. deal, accepting. Yeah. And uh, 
so everything today was pretty hit me like perfectly because mm-hmm. and right before I got here I was on a big political rant about you know how we need to we should and you know, I was thinking we need people that are more aggressive and <laughs> you know like you know the opposite really you know because um, I've just been upset with a lot of the stuff going on mm-hmm. and uh, letting it get to me I think and wanting to fight and <laughs> yeah but you know, I have to come here and like hear the truth and then realize, oh yeah, okay, that's part of the problem. Then you're just doubling the problem mm-hmm. and doing exactly what the other people are doing, falling into the hatred. But that's the natural way to go, <laughs> unfortunately. So uh, yeah. that's all I got. Yeah, we all have that in us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I heard a lot of discussion earlier about patience and impatience. I know you know things. <laughs> Where? Oh, okay. Someone? There is a number 27 of the 37th Bodhisattva practices is that you're to be very grateful when somebody is being mean to you and treat them like a treasure because it's your opportunity to generate patience. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think one thing I noticed today and with most of my sitting meditation practice is the impatience with pain or discomfort. And... um, it's particularly difficult to be patient because you're still feeling that pain. And you're so, I'm sorry? Still feeling like neck pain or back uh-huh. pain or um, trying to be patient with physical discomfort is a practice along with mental discomfort and it, it just comes in the practice of returning back to patients I've noticed is different um, depending on like what kind of suffering or discomfort I am facing. Mm-hmm. That's different flavors. Yeah. 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 So just an observation there. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, I just wanted to say a really short observation that I had. I was really struck when you asked us, how does it feel uh, to be patient or to be impatient? that was that really resonated um and i i guess um my experience my limited experience of patience is that it feels timeless um and that anytime i'm impatient there's always a real sense of time uh about it it's a real you know urgency of of something maybe being different or whatever but the that those moments of patience are very vast and timeless. They kind of, um, I don't know, that was just my thought. And you were able to feel that in the body? Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, there were moments, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Patty. <clears throat> so it was interesting. I was just, um, 
talking with a friend earlier this morning and uh, about how something it like really stirred up some feel like really icky feeling something happened and it like really just stirred stuff up and then we were talking about the mud and it was exactly the same thing where it's just kind of like you think it's settled and it's and you've gone past it but it's already you're always still kind of around it Mm -hmm. and you kick it up Mm -hmm. and then if you aren't patient and let it settle and just kind of stir it up and waiting for it to be done it just it goes on right (laughs) like it just like never seems to go and so then I sit there and um yeah it's hard to like just to be patient and let it go and you're assuming that the outcome without fixating whatever that outcome is going to be that it'll clear up and then there'll be something different but you don't really know what it's going to be but I do I yeah I like that analogy of like the mud and just Mm -hmm. kind of things stirring up and and how that works just in water you just have to let it settle and it Mm -hmm. be patient Otherwise, you're stuck in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm Eric. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Jean. Yeah. This was great. Um, I actually want to make a comment too about the Tao Te Ching passage. Um, the um, I, I found it interesting um, talking about uh, you know letting the the mud settle and waiting for. Um, the the action to come naturally and you know and I'm I'm pretty good at that actually um, and I'm not bragging either because I'm realizing that that can be kind of um, inconsiderate actually um, because I've found that sometimes people get really annoyed with me um, and I was kind of thinking about that and um, because sometimes um, you know, sometimes other people are dependent on you acting. <laughs> um, and perhaps, you know, in moments like that, there's maybe another level of patience where, you know, maybe that involves a level of action that, that you're not comfortable taking and you need to be patient with that. I don't know, but mm. that's something I was kind of thinking about. We'll take one more if there is one more. Ah. Yeah, my name's Dave, and I, one thing I struggle with at times is is patience and and sliding into passivity, and uh, knowing uh, or feeling and knowing when when it's passivity and when you know when it's patience. I don't, I don't know if you have any and comments. And what helps on, you to know that? Uh, not much. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, it's, uh, if I tune into my body, sometimes I can feel uh-huh. that. If, I'm, if I have the, the presence to try that. And other times it's lack of wisdom, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and truly knowing what an appropriate response would be, even if it's, no, if it's nothing. Uh-huh. So it sounds like you have the answer. Well, I, I, <laughs> I intellectually maybe, uh, yeah. Yeah, so body's a good place to go to start. Yeah. Passivity and patience, I think, feel for me they feel different. You might explore that. All right, so. Um, Maybe we'll do announcements first, and then we'll 
we'll dedicate the merit. Thank you very much for your teaching. Um, there are a couple of announcements. Day-long retreat with Gail Iverson and Gabe Keller-Flores, Saturday, August 25th from 9 to 6 p.m. There's a mindfulness and physical pain workshop with Ramesh Sairam, uh, Sunday, August 26th, uh, 1 to 5. And cooking for the Labor Day retreat. We're still looking for people to cook food ahead for the Labor Day residential retreat. All the food for our residential retreats is prepared by community members. This is a wonderful way to support those who will be engaging in intensive practice. And if you'd like to help by preparing food in advance, uh, you can go to the residential retreat site or pick up a slip uh, by the Donna Bowls. And um, I did two things, and I cooked two things, and it was pretty easy. So the recipes were super easy. Um, and then if you could please uh, help by putting the chairs, bringing the chairs downstairs, just the folding chairs, the zafus and the cushions can stay on the floor. And I think that's it okay. for announcement. Oh, okay. Um, my name is Jeremy. Um, Gabe asked me to announce this as well. Um, we, uh, I'm one of several people who um, volunteer to host tea on Sunday evenings from 6.15 to 6.45. It's just open. Anybody can come in. It's an opportunity to just meet some people and chat um, that we don't have the opportunity as much during our practice meeting. Um, and we're looking for one other person who might be willing to join us. Um, it's basically once a month. And if you're at all interested, just come and see me, and I can tell you what it's involves is very simple. Thank you. So I'll just say one very brief sentence or two about the first parami, which is generosity. Uh, I'll, the Pali word is dana. Maybe you're familiar with that. First retreat I went on, they had all these things that said dana on them, like like bottles of lotion and stuff. I thought, wow, Dana, Dana owns a lot of stuff. It was actually <laughs> dana. So dana means generosity. Um, common Ground was built, is built on generosity. This entire building was built generosity. People offering money as well as labor, materials. Common Ground continues to operate on the, on the principle of generosity, so everything is freely given. So if you would like to support the work of Common Ground as well as my own work, um, there is a Adana Bowl. Out, there are three of them out there. I don't know which one is for tonight, but it probably says on it. You're, you're invited to make an offering of any sort in there. You can also offer your um, goodwill and any sort of um, uh, volunteer work, like, like volunteering for the tea service or cooking. However you might want to contribute generosity, it would be welcome. Um, and also there's a iPad out there, which I don't know how to use, but I'm sure most of you are more technically confident than I. Someone could show you if you want to contribute that way. So that's the practice of generosity. And the other form of generosity is offering whatever merit or whatever goodness we might be cultivating here in our practice tonight together to the benefit of all beings. So we'll close with that practice. So if you would like to just once again find a comfortable posture and seat and bring your attention back to 
your body and to your breath. And reflecting on whatever merit, whatever goodness, whatever wholesomeness might have been cultivated tonight in our exploration, our practice of the Dharma. Dedicating that to the well-being of all beings, all beings everywhere, human beings, animal beings, beings seen, beings unseen, May all beings everywhere be free from suffering. May all beings everywhere know peace. May all beings everywhere benefit from patience, their own and the patience of others. May all beings everywhere be free. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.